Good morning. If you, if you paid attention to your bulletin, you would notice that I am not Pastor Sean giving a message. But unfortunately, Pastor Sean has been sick this week, so we had to go to the bench to, to fill in. But fortunately, the Word of God is the same, and uh, now is when we turn our hearts to, to, to the attention of the, of the Word of God. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 21. We've been in a series on um, the, the end of Matthew. We, we did a series on the beginning of Matthew uh, during uh, Epiphany, and now we're turning to our, our thoughts towards the, the end of Matthew, uh, approaching the, the crucifixion, the death, and, and resurrection. So this morning, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 21. If you uh, grab the guest Bible that is, uh, is at the doors. Uh, it is on page 791. We're looking at Matthew 21, 12 through 17. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. And they asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read in the scriptures, for they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. And then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. I don't know whether it was planned <laughs> that the kids' choir would sing on a day when the scripture talks about the praise of God coming from children, but it certainly is appropriate. And thank you, kids, for the, for the work you, you did. We've been looking at this passage in, in Matthew. Last week, you'll recall, um, Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on a, on a donkey. And it was a deliberate uh, revelation of who he is as the Messiah of Israel. That he, he, he the scripture quoted from Zechariah that, that the king would come, but he would come in peace riding on a, on a donkey. Well, this morning's text is just as deliberate for the Messiah now goes to the house of God goes to the temple and reveals himself as the one coming to purify the temple. So in Israel, uh, they had uh, a, a system where kings came from one tribe, the tribe of Judah, and priests came from another tribe, the tribe of Levi. But when the Messiah would come, he would fulfill both of these as the, the ruler and as the priest and leading of worship. So Matthew draws our attention to this fact 
by uh, immediately going from the, the entry into Jerusalem into coming to the, to the temple. He fulfills uh, in, in Matthew, uh, Malachi, the, the last book in our Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly. He is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. Or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. And then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. There's a prophecy of a coming one. And he would come not just to rule as a king, but to purify the worship of God's people. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's almost impossible for me to read this text without thinking of Handel's Messiah. That he shall come to purify the sons of Levi. Aren't you glad I didn't try to sing it? But... but but that's, that's the hope of Israel. It wasn't just that a king would come and deliver them from their enemies, but that he would restore perfect worship of the, of the people of God. And the Levites represented the, the, the priestly class, the ones that could offer offerings to, to the Lord. When Jesus goes into the temple, he is in effect saying, this is coming to pass now. I am the one that comes to purify the temple and its worship and the worshipers and the sacrifices. I'm the one that comes to restore godly worship. I'm the one that comes to purify the people of God that have strayed uh, from him. This cleansing of the temple is a token of the beginning of the work of Christ to purify and cleanse his people. Now, Matthew skips over some things that are in other Gospels because he wanted to draw that, our attention to this twofold work of Messiah. But in Mark's Gospel, we find that he actually went to the temple the day before and observed everything that was there. And then uh, spent the night in Bethany and came back the next day and cleansed the temple. So uh, commentators say, this is to point out that he was thoughtful and doesn't just fly off the handle. Again, when I look at me, if I was mad about something and I spent the night thinking about it, <laughs> I would get madder and madder and madder. But what we know of Christ is that he is angry but does not sin. Now, for some of us, it bothers us that he is angry at all. But this is his house. These are his priests. This is the sacrifices that he uh, required. And he 
observes uh, and inspects what they're doing. Way back uh, when Lois and I bought our first house, um, I can't speak for everybody in the, in the family, but I was dumb and um, naive. And I thought to myself, why should I buy, uh, pay for a house inspector? The township will do that. Well, I found out why. When the first time we turned on the water in the sink and water poured all over it outside the drain, and I looked under there, there was a, there was a whole collection of uh, PVC pipes that it looked like a 12-point buck. I mean, it was just all over the place. I, I took it down. We had a friend that was, had, uh, her family had been in the plumbing business for like three generations, uh, and I showed it to, the, to her father, and I, he hit the roof. He started screaming. I, I was intimidated. I thought, well, he's yelling at me. I, I don't know anything. I'm just a guy. And, but he was actually calling the township saying, why in the world would you pass this inspection? And I asked him, well, how does, how does it happen? I mean, this, this is terrible. He said, well, people will put a $10 bill on it. So when the inspector comes through, he gets, no offense if anybody's an inspector here. <laughs> Present company accepted that he would be able to overlook falsies, falsities in the, in, the, in the house. When Jesus observes when he inspects, he cannot be bribed. He cannot be fooled. He sees under the surface to see what's actually going on. And that's what brings him to the place where he goes to cleanse and set free. He, he acts to turn over these tables and the money changers and the, the animals and driving them out, saying, my father's house will be a house of prayer. It is designed for worship and seeking God and praying. And this was the area where anybody could go, Gentiles and anyone else could go in there and it was supposed to be an opportunity, but instead, it's a bazaar. It's a market. There's some evidence that the system was corrupt. That you, you had to change your money from wherever you came from to pay the temple tax in the right kind of shekel. And the money changers could take a little fee when they changed your your money. You had to have an acceptable sacrifice that the priest would, would uh, inspect and, and say, this is, there's no blemish in this sacrifice. For the, the law of God said, you cannot bring a blemished animal for sacrifice. Not a blind one, not a lame one, not a broken one. You don't bring the ones that are not worth anything. You bring the good ones, the best, to the Lord. And the priest would be the one to inspect and say, that's acceptable. Well, what if every single animal you brought they can always find, <laughs> they can always find a blemish. So for convenience sake, 
we'll just sell the animals here. And it may be a little higher than what you buy outside, but you know it's going to be acceptable. The, the house of the high priest actually owned stalls in this area in order to provide such animals. But even if that's not true, it is, uh, it is offensive to Jesus that this is a place of commerce, not a place of worship. This is a place where uh, business goes on as usual. Try to imagine trying to pray when, uh, when you hear people bickering over the price and uh, arguing in a, as in a bazaar of the price and, and uh, selling their wares and, and getting people to come and take, take their business. So Jesus actually quotes when he says, this house has become a den of thieves. He quotes from Jeremiah, the prophet, who, who is preaching a sermon in his day about the temple and how the people were corrupt but thought that if they just went to the temple, everything would be okay even though their lifestyle was corrupt and despicable. So in Jeremiah, he says, don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours? And then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we're safe, only to go back to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely, I see all the evil that's going on here. I, the Lord, have spoken. That here they had a superstitious view of the temple, that no matter how I lived my life, if I just went there and offered the appropriate sacrifice, everything would be okay. I mean, there was a day in our country when going to church was expected of a respectable person. And so we could go and try to make business deals, but we had no intention of, of seeking uh, the God whose name we put over the door of the church. Excuse me. What Jesus is saying to the commercialization of his house is you are not welcome here. We get upset that the meek and mild Jesus is angry and acts out his anger, but he is revealing the character of God and his holy purpose for his people. And the commercialization, you are not welcome here. It reminded me of a time in high school, and you, you know me. Uh, I did not make good decisions in high school. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, in fact, they were not just not good, they were bad. And uh, I, I was involved in a group where our 
highest priority was getting high. And, um, you know, next to finding drugs, the biggest problem was to find a place that we could do them outside of the eye of the police and parents. So when one of the guys said, hey, my parents are away. Well, that, that's an open invitation. I know nobody here, you don't know what I'm talking about, so I, I'll just fill you in. So all of a sudden, this uh, parking lot is, the driveway is filled with cars and people in there. The music is blaring. The drugs are going. Somebody found popcorn, and so it's all over the place. It's, it's, just, it's just what you would expect when parents go away and they have children like Chris or any one of us. And everybody is happy until, like, all of a sudden, suddenly, there's a man standing in the middle of the kitchen, and he is angry. And he, sa and he speaks with a voice of authority, because this is his house. This is his house, and we're there uh, doing drugs and whatever else. And he says, and I'll, I mean, I can hear the voice today. You are not welcome here. <laughs> and we said, well, <laughs> and you know, I don't know what would happen today when people are more violent. We were not violent people, so we took his and his word. I, I don't know what would happen today. But that was the, this is his house, and you are not invited. And that's what he's saying to these tradesmen in the temple. You are not welcome in my house. This is a house of prayer. This is a house to seek God. And we, we get offended sometimes that he's angry, but this is a warning to them. It's a revelation that the judgment of God will come upon them if they don't change the way they view the worship in, in God's house. And there will come a time, if they don't wake up, there will come a time when not only will the tables be overturned, but every stone in that temple will be overturned when the judgment of God falls upon it. We're offended that he's angry, but more should we be offended that, that God is dishonored, that his people are injured and preyed upon. When, and when John talks about a cleansing of the temple, it, it, he writes that the disciples remembered that the scripture said that zeal for your house will consume me. It was a zeal for the revelation of God, a zeal for his character and nature, a zeal for his people to be a holy people before God that consumes him and brings out his anger to drive out those that would dishonor the Lord and diminish his people. And he himself, he overturns, he drives out, but he himself, just a few days from this time, will be scourged and whipped and beaten and taken to a cross by the very ones that rule in the, in the temple, the very ones that are judging whether an animal is blemished or not, the very ones will take him to a cross to die for the sins of the, of the nation. We, um, 
Matthew doesn't even quote the whole text that other gospel writers do when they quote from Isaiah 56. That it wasn't just a house of prayer, but it was a house of prayer for all nations. So in Isaiah 56, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them, that is these Gentiles, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That what Jesus is doing is re reminding the people of the hope of Israel that the pure worship of God would be restored and it would spread out to every nation, not just those from, from Israel. That there is a, a picture in the, in the Old Testament of a time when Gentiles would come from every nation to Mount Zion to worship the true God and learn his ways. But you can't do that if the priests are teaching the commercialization and the cheating of, of a, a sacrificial system. You can't reveal the glory of God when you are uh, dishonoring him yourself. So in Zechariah, last week we looked at Zechariah, how he prophesied the coming of the Lord on a donkey. But Zechariah also has a picture of the people of God in the day of the Messiah. The people of God would be a holy people set apart to him. And he writes in Zechariah 14, 20, on that day, even the harness bells of the horses will be inscribed with these words, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the temple of the Lord will be as sacred as the basins beside the altar. In fact, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord of heaven's armies. All who come to worship will be free to use any of these pots and boil their sacrifices. And on that day, there will no longer be traitors in the temple of the Lord of heaven's armies. That's it's fulfilling the hope of Israel. As much as the, the hope of Israel was for a coming king to set them free from their enemies and rule in justice, the hope of Israel was for a purity of worship of, of the people of God, set apart wholly to him in order to bring pure sacrifices to him. In Malachi chapter 3, again, that the Lord will come as a refiner, as a purifier, as the one that removes the dross from metals and purifies the worship of his people. But you, you priests, you traitors, you're not welcome in my house. Well, if they're not welcome, who is welcome? In verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them.
the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. This is the one that welcomes the excluded, the broken, the sick, the hurting, the stranger. The law, actually, David, when he uh, took control of, of Jerusalem and set about to uh, build a temple there that his son built, they had taunted him, saying, you can't hold this. The blind and the lame wouldn't even be able to hold this uh, or, or get into this, um, this city. And he made a law that the blind and the lame could not enter in to the temple. The, the law itself talked about the, the uh, blemishes of the priest, that the blind, the lame, many other abnormalities could not enter into the house of God as a priest because they were a picture of the perfections of God. And the perfections of God go way beyond the physical characteristics, but the law prevented those with uh, physical problems from offering the sacrifices. You, you, you might notice that before this, before Jesus gets to the donkey, he heals two blind men on the way from Jericho. And now he's healing blind again that come into the temple. And what is he saying? He's saying, I can heal the blind. I can heal the lame. But I can't heal the ones that are willfully blind, like the priests and the scribes and the elders that are uh, opposed and rejecting him. That, it, that the call of God, the perfection, the perfection of God is offered to those that come with a simple faith to receive from him. In 21.15, it says, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. Now they're the ones that are angry. They're not angry that the, that the house of God is dishonored. They're not angry that, the, that it's commercialized. And they're not angry that they have prevented it from being its purpose for a house of prayer. They're angry that these children are praising the Messiah when he comes into, into his house. That they, they are indignant and angry. This is a blindness that Jesus cannot heal. They cannot be healed of this blindness unless they turn to him and, and repent. They say to him, don't you hear what they're saying? They're saying the same thing that the people on the road 
to Jerusalem were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they're crying out in the temple. The, the Hosanna, salvation from our God. The one that brings it is here. He's coming to this temple and he deserves all praise and honor. So here, it's amazing to me, is the chief priests, the ones that are trained in the sacrificial system, cannot see him. And the, the scribes, the elders, the, the experts in the law that pointed to him cannot see him, but the children can recognize him for who he is and give him the praise that he deserves. And isn't that exactly the upside-down kingdom that we've been looking about? It isn't the, the smart ones. It isn't the powerful ones. It isn't the wealthy ones. It's the ones that are broken that come to him that have a need in their heart, and he alone can save it. That's what he's re revealing to us in this, in this section. These children, he had said himself uh, in, in Matthew chapter 11, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, but you have revealed them to babes. You have revealed them to the one that comes in a simple childlike faith to receive what you have. They say, Jesus don't you hear what they're saying? And subtext is, won't you shut them up? Do you hear them? If you heard them, you would surely stop them. They said the same thing on the way to Jerusalem. When the people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed be the name of the one that comes in the name of the Lord. They say, tell your disciples to be quiet. And what did he say? If they're silent, the stones will cry out. Somebody has to praise him. And it's going to be either the stones or the children. And if it's not you, it'll be somebody. And that's the upside down kingdom. The ones that know the most, know the least. And the ones that know little know him. And that's all that really matters. The simple come, the outcasts come, the excluded come, the broken ones come, the blind come and are healed, the lame come and are healed. And then Jesus asked them a question. Haven't you read you experts in the law, <laughs> you experts in the sacrificial system, haven't you read in verse 16 the scriptures, for they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. He's quoting from Psalm 8. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. It's a simple truth in the scripture that the priest and the, the expert at law couldn't see. And the simple truth is that the power of God comes through his word. And it doesn't matter if it's an expert or a child. When they speak the praise of God, the strength of God comes through that word to defeat the enemies of God. And Jesus is embodying that there. And the children give him the praise that belongs to him and to him alone. 
But we miss, we miss something if, if we don't pay attention carefully. For that psalm is directed to the Lord God. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Jesus says, they're complaining that they're praising him. Haven't you read that? That the children will praise the Lord. He takes for himself the prerogative of God. Because this is not just an ordinary man that has come. This is the Lord himself. He has come in the flesh in order to reveal the salvation of God. So when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer, he's not just saying my father's house. He is saying my house, this temple is my house. These sacrifices are my sacrifices. These priests are my priests. And when you dishonor them, you dishonor me, and you dishonor my Father. So he had said earlier in, in Matthew that there's a greater than the temple is here. And I, I'm reminded when, when John talks about the cleansing of the temple, the leaders, the priests, and the scribes, they tell him, what sign do you do? that authorizes you to come in here and cleanse the temple. And what does he respond? He said, here's the sign that I will destroy this temple and in three days raise it up. <laughs> and they said, three days? It took 46 years for Herod to beautify and expand this temple and you're going to do it in three days? But the disciples realized he wasn't speaking of that physical uh, building, but his own body that would be destroyed and buried and raised in three days. What is he saying? That building is not God's house. He is God's house. He is the dwelling place of God. Right? That we learned this in Colossians on Wednesday night. That in him dwells the fullness of God in bodily form. The God of all gods dwells in this, uh, this body, this flesh, this person. And so when they dishonor this building, they're dishonoring what it represents. And the building points to the true temple, which is Christ himself. This is an upside-down building. This, the, the, the glory, the gold, the, uh, all the furnishings, all of that mean nothing if it doesn't point to the true temple, the one that is the dwelling place of God on earth. But you know what? The true temple includes 
living stones. Those that come and put their faith in Christ become stones in a, in a living temple. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor of God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected is now the chief cornerstone. So here is a temple made not with human hands, but by, by the dwelling place of God, including those people, the outcast, the scouter, the broken, the foreigner, all of them who come with faith in Christ are added to this glorious temple. I mean, Herod's temple was, uh, it, it was said by the rabbis, if you've, if you've never seen Herod's temple, you've never seen beauty. But there is something more beautiful about the people of God when the holy presence of God fills them and shines through them that no building can compete with the people of God when God's grace and presence and spirit lives through them. Sometimes I wonder, because we... I, I shouldn't even say we, I can come to church business as usual just as the commercial in the the commercialization in the in the temple i can sit and draft an email make a list of to do tell my boss off this is before i took a job here. <laughs> Apologize to Lois. All the same, at the same time, I'm singing the praises of God. But half my mind is on everything else. And we can, I can live a life outside of the church of God. That's one way and then come together uh, as though I'm something different. And that's what they were doing. And what Jesus is saying, he is the temple. You are the temple. You are the house of God. We are the house of God. And when we join together, we honor him. His presence comes into, into our midst. Uh, it, it's not business as usual. It is the extreme privilege of anybody in the universe to enter into the very presence of God. Even that physical temple in Jerusalem, the holy of holies, 
Only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. But you have the opportunity to enter into the presence of God 24 by 7, 365 days, 366 days this year. And can enter into his very presence with a pure sacrifice to him. We come as broken people, as unclean. And he is the purifier of us. He cleanses and frees and invites us to come. And I'll close with this. He still has a zeal for his house that consumes him. We are that house. He has a zeal, a jealousy for us. He comes, observes, investigates, and purifies his people with his own power and spirit. And we get to share in that glory of God as individuals and as a, as a body. We come together in a house of prayer where God is lifted up and honored and glorified. Pastor Jeff, if you would help me. This is our time. He invites us to come to the refiner. And maybe there's something that you're carrying. It's a, it's a brokenness. It's, a, it's an injury. It's a sin. It's a fear. But come to the one that welcomes the blind and the lame. We come to him asking him to enter into us and bring his, his perfection as the, as the God who dwells in his people. Pastor Jeff?